One of my favorite player comps in the playerprofiler.com database, Travis Kelsey to Rob Gronkowski, Rob Gronkowski to Travis Kelsey. These two players are strikingly similar, not only in their size and their athleticism, but in their on-field production and efficiency. Just across the board, it's difficult to discern Gronkowski from Kelsey, Kelsey from Gronkowski. Gronkowski, the number one fantasy tight end, 17.3 fantasy points per game. Kelsey, number two, 15.6 fantasy points per game. Now, Rob Gronkowski, number one in our production premium metric, which measures Rob Gronkowski's per target output above expectation. Plus 25.2, number one in the NFL. Travis Kelsey, plus 17.6, number three in the NFL. So Rob Gronkowski was more efficient than Travis Kelsey looking at production premium, target premium, yards per target, yards per route run, catch rate. Rob Gronkowski had the highest catch rate among NFL tight ends. That's astounding considering every defense that faces the Patriots is keying on one receiver in the passing game and one receiver only, Rob Gronkowski, still a catch rate above 65%. We expect Rob Gronkowski to get cleared and play in the Super Bowl. And I think Rob Gronkowski will be the reason why the Patriots win the Super Bowl. I don't think the Eagles have an answer for Rob Gronkowski, but I do think the Patriots will have an answer for Zach Ertz. And I think that will be the difference. If you had to find one edge to give the Patriots, it's Gronkowski versus Ertz. Even though Zach Ertz was a top three tight end, the differential between Ertz and that Gronkowski-Kelsey tier is a chasm. And Kelsey actually surpassed Gronkowski in a couple metrics, yards after the catch per target and dominator rating. So there is an argument that Travis Kelsey is the more desirable dynasty league asset because Kansas City just traded Alex Smith. And with Alex Smith under center, Travis Kelsey wasn't even in the top 12 in average target depth, while Gronkowski was number three in the NFL with Tom Brady. Now, Travis Kelsey will enjoy receiving passes from Patrick Mahomes. That is a massive upgrade over Alex Smith. And in the long run, I believe Mahomes will ultimately be a massive upgrade over Alex Smith. And because outside one torn ACL, Travis Kelsey has a relatively clean medical history. When you scroll down on that Travis Kelsey profile on playerprofiler.com, very few injuries. Meanwhile, Rob Gronkowski has injured literally every body part. So I don't think it's an open and shut case. Rob Gronkowski, a more valuable dynasty asset than Travis Kelsey. I think that it's a dichotomy on dynasty rankings that deserves scrutiny. Because if Travis Kelsey is dominating the Kansas City offense at a higher percentage than Rob Gronkowski is dominating the New England Patriots passing game, and Travis Kelsey is accumulating a higher yards after the catch on a per-target basis to make up for the low target depth throws from Alex Smith, then it becomes clear how Travis Kelsey can become the number one tight end in fantasy as soon as next season. And I love using the player profiler data analysis to isolate certain metrics and sort all players within those metrics. It's fascinating to go to the data analysis tool, playerprofiler.com forward slash data dash analysis and say, show me all tight ends by yards after the catch. Show me all tight ends by dominator rating. Show me all tight ends by average target depth. And you can see where Travis Kelsey bubbles up to the top and where Rob Gronkowski bubbles up to the top. 
And we've just loaded the 2018 rookie running backs and rookie receivers. And the first thing I do when we load the rookie receivers is to go to data analysis, select wide receivers, select draft year 2018, and sort by dominator rating. And one name will jump out at you when you do that. DJ Moore from Maryland. DJ Moore's dominator rating exceeds 50%, 53.3%. For a wide receiver at a major conference university to post a college dominator above 50% is exceptional. So my number one ranked receiver early in the pre-draft process is DJ Moore. When we release the first version of the playerprofiler.com rookie rankings this month in February, look for DJ Moore to be ranked number one among rookie wide receivers. Just look out for that. And if you are a playerprofiler.com premium subscriber, now is the time to resubscribe. Our subscriptions are seasonal, so they run through the football season and expire on January 31st. So if you want to check out the dynasty rankings, soon the rookie rankings, and start analyzing this 2018 rookie class, now is the time to do it. Go to playerprofiler.com forward slash data dash analysis and sign up now. And even though the calendar has turned to February, I'm still looking back at 2017. And I know my good friend JJ Zacharyson from Numberfire is doing the same. So let's bring on JJ and ask him about Travis Kelsey and ask him how Alex Smith being traded to Washington affects Travis Kelsey. Ask him if he has a rookie receiver that he's already excited about. So it's time to talk to JJ. Go follow him at Late Round QB on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Program. JJ Zacharyson, that's right, show favorite, a friend of the underworld, JJ Zacharyson is here. Talk to me. What's up, man? I feel like every time I come on the show, because I know that we're going to just talk and talk and talk about football, I should be wearing an adult diaper. Because, <laughs> like just, just to be able to sit down yes. and talk for like five hours and not have to get up and do my business. It would be great to just be able to do it while I'm talking. No one would know. No one... We're talking about Alex Smith. No one have any idea that I'm pissing myself while talking about Alex Smith. Those exist because I participated in the Yahoo NFL draft show last season, and I was in studio with Tony Saragusa, and Tony Saragusa is the official spokesman of the male adult diaper. Wow. Was he wearing one? <laughs> he should have. It was a four-hour show. That's what I'm saying. So that would have been the time to wear one. That's right. But we did have commercial breaks. If you needed one, if anyone in the studio needed one, Tony Saragusa would have been the guy to go to. He's the expert. There's a lot of pressure, though, when there's a commercial break to, like, get your business done oh. in time, get back, and be prepared, and, and, and look norm don't look flustered that you didn't just spend time in the bathroom. Because you can't let people know that you go to the bathroom. No one can know that. You can't, no. you can't do that. No, the TV talent problems that we have are real. Okay, these mm -hmm. are real things that you get nerves before the show. You need to make sure you go to the bathroom. You need to make sure that the lighting is right. It's not that easy. It's not right. just sitting around talking football. The stress level is clearly elevated. It's not just fun and games, although Tony Saragusa did come over and put me in a headlock. And at one point, I grabbed my crotch because he asked about my penis size at some point because I was inferring <laughs> that another player must have had a huge penis. And I love online streaming shows because you can get away with that shit. Yeah. And the question I have is how the hell did Kansas City get away with trading Alex Smith 
for Kendall Fuller, a quality corner, a third rounder, and the salary relief. Right, exactly. That, that's, that's the thing, is the, the salary. So, first off, anyone thinking that Washington won this trade, <laughs> they're out of their goddamn minds. <laughs> Washington, Washington did not win this trade. <laughs> I had people in my mentions last night when I was talking about how mind-blowing this deal was, because it was a mind-blowing deal. I was not prepared for this to happen. People said, well, what do you want them to do? Literally anything else. Don't give a dude who's going to be 34 years old a contract with $70 million in guaranteed money and then trade one of the best slot corners in the league as well as a third-round pick. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? I don't even mind Alex Smith as a quarterback. I think that I think that Alex Smith actually gets some harsh treatment at times because of his conservative nature. You like Alex Smith. You are an Alex Smith fan. Sure. The Living the Stream podcast is an official Alex Smith program. Yes, but yes. Washington Washington quite literally quite. bought high on a quarterback who was drafted in 2005, right? There's nothing like buying the quarterback drafted in 2005 after his career year at age 34. Exactly. Here's the thing about Alex Smith is 2017. Okay, he was good. He had a great season. About 50% of his yardage total came via air yards when that number hadn't been higher than a little over 45% since he's since he was a 49er. So we're looking at his Chiefs, Chiefs tenure. Uh, about 18.5% of his attempts this season came on throws that traveled 15 or more yards down the field. That's significantly higher than we've ever seen from Alex Smith. Half of his touchdown passes, half of them came on deep balls when his previous percentage of touchdowns on 15 plus air yard throws on the Chiefs was 21.74%. We're essentially looking at a season from Alex Smith that was so unlike any other season that we had ever seen from Alex Smith. And what do the Redskins do? They go out and trade a great cornerback, a third round pick, and they're giving Alex Smith $70 million in guaranteed money, all while not getting, not, not signing the better quarterback. Kirk Cousins is better than Alex Smith. That's right. The, the biggest flaw in all of this, and there were reports that came out that said that Kirk Cousins didn't just write off Washington. They still they they didn't have enough negotiating that that's got that had gone down to get a contract for for this upcoming season and for seasons to come. And it's it's mind blowing to me that they would just make this brash choice to go after someone like Alex Smith when he's clearly the the inferior quarterback compared to a guy like Kirk. Kirk Cousins is gonna get what twenty nine million a year. 30 million a year at this point, just given, just given what the market looks like. Um, and, and to me that sacrifice, cause, cause what this shows, you know, I think that if you, you could make an argument that what Washington could do is get a bridge quarterback of some sort where, yeah, they might be a little competitive and see what happens until they can finally land a guy that they feel comfortable with at the quarterback position. But the issue is this isn't that they're giving him $70 million in guaranteed money and they're losing assets all while doing it when they could have just signed a guy like Kirk Cousins. They could have, I mean, there, there are other avenues. There's every other avenue. Every other avenue would have been better. Every other veteran quarterback would have been better value. And every other rookie quarterback that will be in the first round this year, with the exception of Josh Allen, would have been better for the long-term interest of the franchise. It would have been better overall. The cardinal sin that Washington committed was not factoring in Alex Smith's supporting cast last year. Go to playerprofiler.com. Alex Smith player page. Supporting cast efficiency. Plus 13.76. 
number two in the NFL. Why? They didn't drop any passes. Last year, Chiefs receivers, only 26 drop passes. That's only 1.7 per game, one of the best rates in the NFL. That's why Alex Smith's true passer rating, which factors in wide receiver drops and factors out throwaways, on player profiler, 113.6 for Alex Smith. That was number one in the NFL, in addition to the fact that Kansas City receivers generated more separation than any other receiving group in the league. 1.95 average yards of separation at target per receiver in the Kansas City passing game was number one by a wide margin. Go to the Roto Underworld Twitter feed, at Roto Underworld. We're tweeting top 10 lists across all these metrics all off season, and when you saw the wide receiver target separation for the top 10 quarterbacks who had essentially the receivers creating the most separation, Alex Smith's was number one, but what was most interesting was the margin between him and the next quarterback on the list. It was an outlier season for Alex Smith. He himself played better than he's ever played, and his supporting cast was by far and away better than it's ever been, and certainly much better in Kansas City than it will be in Washington. So I think this coming season, 2018, we will see a Matt Ryan-esque leveling off season coming off Ryan's outlier 2016 efficiency eruption that was the most unsustainable single season efficiency for a quarterback we've seen in a long time. The thing the thing with uh with Alex Smith and his deep ball passing is there's a very very obvious answer to it and it's Tyreek Hill, right? I mean Tyreek Hill is is the perfect example and the perfect reason as to why Alex Smith was able to do what he did uh via the deep ball this season and that was really the biggest difference between Alex Smith this year and in years past is that he was able to throw the deep ball effectively and you look at what they have in Washington well he was willing to throw it period because just a season ago with a rookie Tyreek Hill he only threw 46 deep balls that was number 26 in the league and then it jumped in 2017 to 68 and it was even lower pre-Tyreek Hill. Yes, so, it was. It was. Last year was an outlier across the board in every way. His playing style, his approach, his efficiency, and the ability of the supporting cast will never be seen again on the Alex Smith resume. Correct. And I don't think that, I mean, I know for a fact that what he's walking into isn't close to that. No. Ryan Grant? <laughs> You have a scenario where you have no one that can stretch the field even remotely like like Tyreek Hill can. Uh, I think that the only player that may, that might benefit from from this is the player that's been thrown around by by fantasy Twitter is Chris Thompson. Just the, the check down guy. Uh, we know that Alex Smith uh, has that conservative bone in his, that, that nature uh, with his passing. So Chris Thompson might benefit from this overall, just get some more of that yak. We know that he can do a lot in space. I understand the logic, but... How could he improve on last year? Well, that's what I'm saying. I think that's that. So here, this is this is the thing with with Pat Mahomes too. So obviously, there's there's a higher ceiling in terms of what this Chiefs offense can do with Pat Mahomes under center because <laughs> because there's a lot of upside with Pat Mahomes under center. Yeah. The problem is the problem is Alex Smith, strictly from a numbers standpoint and his production was was great this year, right? Alex Smith was averaging like 20 fantasy points per game. Uh, he was supporting Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Kareem Hunt was RB3. 26 touchdowns, five interceptions. Right. Whoa, whoa. So 
so so the issue the issue and you're you're right with Chris Thompson and his efficiency. So what we cannot do and what fantasy owners should not do is look at what these players did last season and use that as a baseline of any sort. Because like you said with Chris Thompson, outlier season, he had regression coming for for weeks before he got hurt. Alex Smith won't save him from the regression destiny he was headed for in 2018. But I think that of the the quarterbacks and of the scenarios that Washington could have gone down, I don't think that this hurts Chris Thompson as much of it, as much as as it could have. But when you're looking at Pat Mahomes and you're looking at this offense, again, I do think that they have a, a, a higher ceiling with Pat Mahomes under center. Uh, the issue is that if you are attributing the 2017 season as a baseline of sorts, it's not going to be the seamless transition of, oh, yeah, of course Tyreek Hill is going to be better. Of course, of, of course, Travis Kelsey is going to be better because Alex Smith did play, I mean, with context out of his mind, right? Like for Alex Smith. I mean, he played, he had a very good season. Oh, let me be clear. I like Patrick Mahomes, but if he has Alex Smith's 2017 season in 2018, it will be a raging success. Exactly. Exceeding all expectations. Exactly. And that that's the bottom line is to not get so over the top excited about Mahomes stepping in. Know that there is a higher a, a higher sustainable ceiling with this offense. The sustainability is really what's important there, because what Alex Smith was doing wasn't sustainable from purely a production standpoint. That 50 percent mark where 50 percent of his touchdowns came on deep balls over the last six or seven years, that number was like top 10 or 12 in all of football of that entire data set among quarterbacks that threw the ball 200 or more times in the season. That that kind of number regresses unless you're a Tyrod Taylor type thrower where you're getting the ball down, well, in, in non-Rick Dennison offenses, where you're getting the ball down the field all the time consistently, whereas Alex Smith doesn't do that. So uh, that that's really my take on the whole situation. I'm really excited for the Chiefs offense. I think that it's a, a good long-term move, obviously, because they, they could have gotten nothing for Alex Smith, and they ended up getting a, a solid corner, a third-round pick. They got rid of his, his money. Uh, it, it, it's a great, great move for Kansas City. I'm pretty pumped for that offense. They received a wagon train in trade for Alex Smith. Old West Wells Fargo wagon filled with gold bars. And that was essentially what it is when you get the best slot corner in the NFL last season. Because that's what Kendall Fuller was. And Kendall Fuller performed better according to numerous advanced metrics on Player Profiler than even Chris Harris. His plus 46 coverage rating was number three across all corners. 43.8% catch rate allowed, number two in the league. 46.7 passer rating allowed, number two in the league. His fantasy points per target, one even, was the lowest among qualified corners last season. That's how good Kendall Fuller was. And he was a throw-in? A throw-in? When this is one of the most important positions on the football field? Can you stop slot receivers? That is one of the keys to winning in the NFL. You cannot be killed by the slot receiver, which is what so many of these West Coast offenses seek to do. You can take away one of the great strengths and one of the great focal points of many of the West Coast offenses around the league. Kendall Fuller helps you do that, and you throw him into a deal because the third rounder was enough. The third rounder was overpaying. It was a salary dump move. Everyone in the league, all 31 teams knew that Kansas City did not want to retain Alex Smith at his current salary level with a Patrick Mahomes, a better option on the bench, waiting to take over. Of course, 
Kansas City was preparing to punt Alex Smith. Everybody knew it except Washington. Washington was out there raising their hand going, oh, no, we'll pay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We won't wait for you to cut him or get to a position where the deadline is looming to pick up his option. Oh, no, we're not going to wait until then when when you have minimum leverage. No, we're going to do a trade now. Yeah, we'll do a trade now. We'll do a trade now. We'll give you the best slot corner last season and a third rounder, which is one of the best value rounds to draft. You want to be drafting in the second and third round. The first rounders, you have to overpay based on the salary structure. And then fourth through the seventh rounds are harder to find talent. But the second and third round draft picks, those are the premium picks in the draft. Those are the picks that you notice the smart teams like the New England Patriots are always trying to stockpile. So you give up a valuable third rounder and a Kendall Fuller and provide salary relief to a team that doesn't need Alex Smith anymore. Right. If this was a fantasy league, there would be cries of collusion on the message board. Yeah, the other thing with with Kendall Fuller is he he's turning 23 this month so, or in February. It's ridiculous. And so and so we don't we don't know. I mean, we're 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 referring to him as the best slot corner in the league, which or, or which he was last season effectively. He performed that way. I would still rather have Chris Harris based on a body right, of right. work, but Kendall Fuller is the best value slot corner in the league based on his age and salary level. Right. My greater point is that Kansas City number one had no slot presence last season on defense. So that's that's a big upgrade, even if they were to slot him right in there. But the other piece of this is what if he develops into something bigger and they have someone now across from Marcus Peters and they have a, de- I mean, albeit he's Peters is overrated, but if they have someone acro- on the other side of the field, all of a sudden you have a pretty good tandem if Fuller is able to, to develop into something more than a slot corner. Anyone's better than Terrence Mitchell, first of all. Yeah, exactly. And, let, and let, let's not, let's not devalue what how, the impact a good slot corner can have on a defense in today's NFL. So th- that's the other piece that, I mean, it, it's just mind blowing. You're getting, you know, the the way you win in today's NFL, you stop the pass and you're able to to pass the ball effectively. And that that means edge rush and corners, and that means quarterbacks and wide receivers. And what Washington did was give away one of those pieces. And it's just mind blowing to do it for an aged 34 year old quarterback. So the question: Did Washington get fleeced? The answer is definitively yes. 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 But let's go down the list of players on each team and judge how much this trade affects them. So on Washington, Chris Thompson, it's a push because he was going to regress, but getting Alex Smith, a checkdown quarterback, funnels more targets, generally speaking, to that satellite back. So I think with Chris Thompson, it's a push. I think with Jamison Crowder, it's a push because he's also an underneath receiver. So I think he's a push. Yeah, I think that with Josh Doxson, it's a negative. Yeah, of course. Josh Doxson is much better off with a Kirk Cousins under center. Josh Doxson did not command a high target share on the outside with Kirk Cousins. If he doesn't improve, he's certainly not going to command a high target share with Alex Smith. Right. Totally agree with you. Totally, totally on the same page there. And we don't know about Jordan Reed. So we can't even comment on the tight end position because we're not even sure Jordan Reed will play football again. Yeah, I mean, but my fear, yeah. My fear with with Jordan Reed, though, let's just pretend he's healthy. Is is you know Travis Kelsey's? I love this fantasy land we've just walked into where Jordan Reed is healthy. Right. Yeah. But if we're transitioning and we're going to talk about Kansas City, I mean, look at what what Travis Kelsey what what Travis Kelsey's issue has always been is is touchdowns, the scoring, right? And that 
ultimately will fall a lot on the quarterback. And so that's the fear. Jordan Reed, it's literally the opposite, right? Jordan Reed's fantasy value has all, has, he's been Gronk-like when he's healthy. Um, and so that, that I think is a big negative uh, when, when you transition from Alex Smith. Right, because Jordan Reed, when healthy, was that best case scenario from a fantasy point production standpoint. You change the quarterback, you change that dynamic, he has nowhere to go but down. Yeah, I mean, and there's a lot of noise to something like that. I'm not saying that, like, oh, Alex Smith is not good in the red zone. with t-. There's there's noise to something like that. But at a very high level, I mean, we know that Travis Kelsey's issues, I mean, he he, he hadn't seen a crazy market share in the red zone uh, throughout his career or, or where it should be given his talent. Um, so I think that with Mahomes there, there's a little bit more excitement and upside with a guy like Kelsey. Uh, Tyreek Hill, obviously, Mahomes has a great arm. That's, I mean, that that's that fit is unbelievable. Like that, I I don't think you could get more excited about a young pairing than than Pat Mahomes and Tyreek Hill. It's crazy. Impossible. They were meant to be together. Right. It's nuts. Chris Conley, though. Chris Conley's going to... Oh, not. Chris Conley. Why not? Everybody wins. <laughs> the fast and athletic Chris Conley, it's a win for him. It's a win for Albert Wilson. It's a win for especially Tyreek Hill. But it's also a win for Travis Kelsey for this reason. Travis Kelsey suffered from a low depth of target. Look right. at the top 10 tight ends in average depth of target. It's OJ Howard, Greg Olson, Gronkowski is three. Kelsey's not in the top 10. That's because he's number one in the league in yak. Right. Well, Alex Smith has nothing to do with Travis Kelsey's yak. Travis Kelsey is now going to give you the yak with a deeper target depth which just means more big plays, more splash plays for Travis Kelsey. This is exciting. If you wanted Travis Kelsey to permanently supplant Gronk on the overall dynasty rankings, I mean, this is the case to be made for that. Yeah, I mean, I think that the other thing, too, is we know that a quarterback's impact uh, can cannot is not just from a receiver standpoint. So it's long term. In, this happening right now instead of a year from now is nothing but a good thing for Kareem Hunt, too. I mean, oh you... Yes. Right. I mean, you, yes. you have you have that impact. There's that that domino effect where you got to stop thinking about only these pass catchers and you have to think about scoring opportunities and just the offense in general, because don't forget, Kansas City went through a slump this season offensively. It wasn't until the final four four ish weeks of the season where they kind of got their groove back. And they were they were actually in the red zone running plays in the red zone. And Kareem Hunt was able to finally find the end zone. Uh, if, if that's more consistent, which you hope that it would be with a young quarterback. I mean, look, there, there's a lot of variance, too, because what happens if Pat Mahomes is not good? I mean, we, we don't know that for no. sure. No, I know. We, but we don't. You know, I, 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 I that's that's the way that I that I look at football and fantasy football is that you, just the range of outcomes and the range of outcomes. There's a lot of good outcomes with Pat Mahomes if he is indeed good, because the the skill position players in Kansas City are very, very strong. Um, so I think that you have to get excited from that perspective. And if you're a Mahomes guy, then you have to buy into the to the guys that they have in that offense. Well, fortunately, I don't think Alex Smith was ever very good. And Andy Reid created a game plan to hide Alex Smith's deficiencies. And you have to assume that if Patrick Mahomes shows some deficiencies, that Andy Reid, as one of the more capable offensive minds and play callers, will work around those deficiencies deftly as he did with Alex Smith. There's no downside for any of these players on Kansas City, especially Kareem Hunt, because the conventional wisdom is, well, as a checkdown quarterback who funneled targets to the running back, well, this is bad for Kareem Hunt. But even if Patrick Mahomes' target rate to running backs decreases from Alex Smith's running back target rate, so what? 
he'll make up for it with offensive efficiency right. by sustaining drives and, and enabling more red zone opportunities. That's the great tide that lifts all boats. When you have a quarterback who is an efficient downfield thrower, everybody wins, including the running back, counterintuitively, assuming he's an efficient downfield thrower. I agree. There's a chance he's not. There's a right. chance he just stinks, but I'm betting on him being good. Yeah, I think that, that the probability of him being a competent quarterback is greater than him busting. Kevin Cole on Twitter wrote that Patrick Mahomes is like Josh Allen if he was actually good. Yeah, right. And that's pretty good, right? That's a pretty good analysis. I like that analysis a lot. It's good. That's good. So there's a Super Bowl coming up. I don't know if you've heard. And leading up to the Super Bowl, ESPN writer Seth Wickersham wrote an in-depth piece, one of the most comprehensive pieces on a sports franchise in recent memory. What did you think about the piece he wrote, and in particular, the brady belichick Craft schism? The schism. I think that it's interesting to see how many people were so against this article when it was published. When you have three arrogant people who have had the most success of anyone in their positions in NFL history, why wouldn't there be egos involved? Why wouldn't that be a thing? And it, it's not that far of a stretch or hard, a hard thing to, to correlate and say, yeah, of course that there's going to be riffs. I mean, if you get a bunch of arrogant people together, they're going to get angry at one another eventually. They're going to want to have it their way. They're going to want to get the credit. They're going to want to be viewed as the reason for the winning. Yeah. I, you know, I saw that. I thought the article was very, very well done. I think that, you know, I think that people might take some of the results or the conclusions of the article, which I don't think that, that Seth made them super strong from a conclusion standpoint. You know, I don't think that he's sitting here saying like, there's no doubt the Patriots are going to break up next season. Um, I think that people took that and focused way too much on that instead of the smaller intricacies of, of the dynamic between these three guys within the organization and just kind of reading between the lines and, and seeing uh, how those relationships are and, and how they work as opposed to just being like, oh, they're going to break up next year. Like, forget that. Like, don't, who cares about that? That's all speculation. We know that's speculation. What are the chances that happens? 10% chance? Yeah, I mean, like, it's not going to be that high. But but at the same time, I think that it's very interesting to just see that viewpoint. Um, you know, there, there are pieces within the article that ha people have debunked. It's uh, seemingly debunked or, you know, s other journalists have said this isn't true. But at the same time, Seth has backed and said, I got this information from people that I trust and, and yada, yada, yada. So, I mean, it's a, it's a he said, she said kind of thing. But regardless, I don't think that it was a I don't think it was a hit piece. I think that there was a lot of interesting information in there, a lot of believable information in there. Um, but again, I think that if you're looking at the conclusion and you're questioning the, the conclusion, that's fine. That's one thing. But I wouldn't question just the general thesis of that entire article. Yeah, I don't question the conclusion because I think there is a chance that Belichick is no longer with the Patriots a year from now. I think that's absolutely in play, and many hadn't considered it. And after reading the article, now I'm considering it, and that's what made the article a quality piece of journalism because it provided a window into an organization and one of the most interesting organizations in the history of sports because the surprise with the Patriots is not that these egos are clashing, that there is a schism. It's that, how did this schism not happen five years ago? Yeah. That's what we should be marveling at. Not running out to try to debunk every section of the article, but rather just sitting back and going, yes, of course this happened. And it's pretty amazing that it took this long. 
The one thing I have challenged about the piece is the premise that the Patriots were fleeced like Washington was fleeced when they traded Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't think that's the case. I don't think it was a panic move by the Patriots. I think that all 31 teams knew the Patriots had no leverage and they had to trade Jimmy Garoppolo and they waited as long as they possibly could to trade Jimmy Garoppolo and based on when his contract expired, which is public information, they had to trade him and I think the priority was to trade him to an NFC team and that was the maximum bid for Jimmy Garoppolo, a player with one NFL start on his resume at the time the Patriots received back their most coveted asset, a high second round pick. I think the Garoppolo trade sparked the idea to go write the article and what he ended up coming back with was something truly compelling. And it doesn't matter that his starting point, the initial premise was flawed. Right. Valid. So again, this whole Super Bowl thing that is coming up, I know it's news, but it's happening. The last time we saw an Eagles team in the Super Bowl, it took the offense five minutes to run a two-minute drill, and the quarterback vomited on the field. Like, that happened. There's visual evidence of that happening. Now, given that, how much does experience matter in the Super Bowl, JJ? (laughs) Cliché football sports radio question. I know the analytical answer here is that it doesn't because good performance is all that matters. But I think that, look, we're all human. I think that there's something that goes into it. I think that there's, that there's, you know, I I think that it's not unhelpful to have played in more than a half dozen Super Bowls, right? Like to, to have that experience and motion of going through uh, a week of, of questioning and, and so on and so forth. But here's the other thing. This is, I mean, this is the way that I view so many topics in sports whenever there's some sort of divisiveness is that usually it lies and the, the answer lies in, in the gray area. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of selection bias when it comes to looking at uh, experienced players in high leverage situations. I mean, if you look at, do uh, you remember the Steelers Packers game, uh, Super Bowl, you know, five, six years ago or whatever, when people forget that Ben Roethlisberger had the ball in his hands, they had a two minute drill, they could have won the Super Bowl, but they, they, they were turned it over on downs. And five years before that, Ben Roethlisberger made it to an AFC championship game as a rookie. Yeah, right. And 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 look, and this is Ben. Ben in that Steelers Packers Super Bowl had already shown the world that he has ice in his veins, right? Because he already had this Antonio Holmes play, you know, was already a, a clutch performer in the playoffs, uh, all of that. But Tom Brady, Patriots, Giants, the, the second one, he had the ball in his hands too. He could have drove down the field and they could have but look, this is this is what happens, right? It's 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 not that these guys aren't clutch. It's not it has nothing to do with that. It's just the way that the game unfolds. So that's where I think that there is a selection bias because it's not like every player who has experience in a Super Bowl all of a sudden can have these great performances. And that, I mean, not only that, it's not like Tom Brady is unable to walk into the Super Bowl this weekend and have a bad performance. Of course, he can have a bad performance regardless of the amount of experience that he has. Uh, I, I don't think it's unhelpful, though. It helped last year because, you know, if it's reversed, no way Matt Ryan's coming back from 28-3. Right. And, and the other the other the other thing, too, literally everything you do in life, if you if you have experience doing it, you get better at it. <laughs> literally. The first podcast I ever did, I had to I had to drink beer before the first podcast I did because I was nervous about doing this podcast. This is like six years ago. We're so good at podcasting now, by the way. Yeah, we're just so good at podcasting now. We're so good at it. I love how good we are at it. Now it's like this is like second nature is just sitting here and yeah. talking to li- I'm literally talking to my elliptical in my office right now. But it's it's not awkward anymore, right? Because I podcast all the time. But 
you only get that through repetition. You look very relaxed in the monitor. Thank you. Thank you. I feel relaxed. You, you look great. I mean, it's tough to not feel relaxed when I see you on the other end just bouncing up and down on your exercise ball. I'm on a yoga ball. I am. But yeah, I mean, I think I think anything in life, the more routine or the more reps you get, the better you get at it. And that's no different than if you're in the Super Bowl. I'm literally a bobblehead on your screen. You, you really are. I've become a human bobblehead. I think it matters. I think if you look back through time, when you look at teams, not necessarily individuals and the clutch gene, but I think it matters having been to the playoffs and made a run. It's typically the second year after making a mini run, then your team is hardened to the playoff experience and and you can make it to the finish line. It's very rare, very rare that a team like the Philadelphia Eagles would go from having a losing record to winning the Super Bowl. That is very, very rare. The, I mean, the other thing too is that the the preparation period for coaches and players is completely different in like specifically with the Super Bowl. I mean, we're not talking about like the NBA Finals. Even I mean, it's a little bit different there too because there's different the, the games are spaced out differently or like the Stanley Cup Finals or something. I mean, this is a you're going from a we're doing this every week. Sure, we have a bye week thrown in there. To all of a sudden, there's this random like this this random this extra week in there, and then at the same time, you know, Nick Foles is on a podium half the week answering questions, answering stupid questions from media members. So I mean, this is not a normal experience. And if you have done this many times as the Patriots have, then it's a lot easier to go through. Dave Portnoy from Barstool Sports asking you about the hat you wore on the plane. I mean, those questions. Yeah, uh, no no comment for me. I thought I had you. I thought I thought I was gonna get you. I tried to rope you in. No comment. Think of fishing. I just fish with a lure. That was a lure question, and you rejected my lure again. You always do. You're very adept at answering the questions that you want to answer, like this one. Like this one. What's the biggest thing the Eagles need to do to win the Super Bowl? Ah, another cliche sports radio question. It is. It is. Uh, I look. The bottom line with this game. And this is this is obvious, but it's true. Nick Foles has to play well, right? Like that's it. it it's not. But but the the thing too. So I'm I'm doing a, a breakdown on number fire uh, Super Bowl preview, numbers driven preview, of course. So it'll be out either Thursday or Friday. Look for that with Nick Foles. I think that a lot of people are looking at that Minnesota game and saying that they need to replicate that kind of performance in order to beat the Patriots, right? Nick Foles in that game converted four of seven deep ball throws when he's converted two of 18 in his other starts this season. Nick, that that's not a, a low-variance, sustainable way of winning a, a football game. With New England, with that secondary, okay, they've given up the third most passing yards this year, but the rate in which they've given up the big play on deep balls wasn't all that bad. They they actually gave up the sixth uh, worst completion rate, so they were sixth best on deep throws this season. So you combine that with what Nick Foles did against Minnesota, you're not in great shape. But New England all season long was beat by those short and more intermediate passes. Uh, they've allowed the fifth most yards per play on those types of balls, and Nick Foles, Matt, he has a fifth best passer rating when not throwing the ball deep. So if you combine that, that those, so what, what I'm expecting in this game essentially is quick throws, get it out of Nick Foles' hands fast, uh, keep these wideouts closer to the line of scrimmage, use the middle of the field a lot. I think that Nelson Aguilar is going to be a big, big piece in this game. Great cornerback slot matchup for him. He had the lowest A dot of the wide receivers in Philadelphia. You know, I think that you could easily make the connection and say like a guy like Zach Ertz and those tight ends are going to have some sort of performance. But I think they need to be force fed in order for that to happen. Uh, Philly, 32% of their passing yards this season 
went to the tight end position, which was the third highest rate in the NFL. Uh, but with that being said, New England's been pretty stingy against opposing tight ends, which is, which is why I think that this could be a Nelson Aguilar. I mean, the matchup is there for Nelson Aguilar to catch the ball seven or eight times if they go with this game plan to exploit matchups, which we know that coaches don't always do that, except for Bill Belichick because he's smart. And for whatever reason, the Patriots did not face many talented tight ends this past season, and they do not have an athletic linebacking core. So I actually think that this could be a Zach Ertz game. It could. It, it absolutely could. We could see them utilize the tight end position like I think that they could utilize Nelson Aguilar, right? Because that's the area of the field that they really, really need to target and target effectively. Um, and that's what Nick Foles has been able to do. You know, I'm not saying Nick Foles has been flawless since he's taken over for Carson Wentz. He's been fine. He's He's, he's had some big games. But the, the big piece here is that he's been good there, and that's the area. I mean, when you watch this game on Sunday, watch for these these quick-release throws, even, even guys on the outside. Watch for those types of throws because that's where New England has been beat. And then once you get into the red zone, that's when New England is able to stop you, right? It's, it, their defense has been so good at limiting points because they, 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 they allow those things to happen through, you know, between the 20s. And then once you get in the red zone, they, they get stingy. Tighten the screws. So it's going to, yeah, exactly. So it's going to be interesting to see that. But I think uh, if there's one guy in this Philadelphia offense that I think could benefit from this matchup, it's Nelson Aguilar. Yeah, the counterpoint for my Zach Ertz could break the Super Bowl record for tight end receptions. That's in play. The problem is when you think about what Bill Belichick likes to do, shut down the best weapon on an opposing offense, that would be Zach Ertz. Yeah. Because yeah. it's not Alshon Jeffrey in his sub 50% catch rate. It's not Nelson Aguilar and his high drop rate. It's certainly not Torrey Smith. We'll let Torrey Smith beat us all day. I can see Bill Belichick saying that in a meeting. I can see them stacking their defensive pieces to stop Zach Ertz. And if you stop Zach Ertz, how does Nick Foles respond? We're going to find out. The other thing, too, I think a lot of people will look at Philadelphia and they'll say they run the ball effectively and that's how they need to win the game is running. First of all, you don't run the ball effectively to win games in the NFL. But number two, number two, what's really interesting about this matchup is if you look at how where these running backs are running uh, for Philly and where so New England's rush defense has been a lot better since their bye week, as a lot of people know. Uh, but the Philadelphia offensive line has the all pro ha, have the all pro names on the right side of the line. The left side is where people see holes and and people think that they're they're weaker. What's really interesting is the left side is where guys like Jay Ajayi uh, and where they've, they've broken these big plays and they have a really high yards per carry rate. And that same side is where New England has been really strong. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that all works out because a lot of the running backs in, in Philly and like the, the way they've sustained their running game, they bounce to the outside a lot because they have a really athletic offensive line. Uh, so I think that that's going to be just a really, really interesting thing to watch because New England has improved their rush defense so well. Philly is very, very athletic on the line. There's a lot of shifting that goes on once the play is snapped and they go to that left side, even though their their strong pieces aren't there. But that's where New England's been stronger of late. So I'm not convinced that Philly's just going to be able to run the football like, like they have. And that's why it's going to come down to that Nick Foles-Nelson Aguilar connection. I can't believe that that's what this is going to come down to. Think about what you just said. You said the outcome of the Super Bowl. <laughs> you said the outcome of the Super Bowl is going to come down to <laughs> Nick Foles and Nelson Aguilar. For the Eagles offense. That's going to be the key to the game. I can't believe you just said that. Imagine six months ago, we were to go in a time machine back six months 
and you could hear yourself saying that you wouldn't believe it yeah I'm, i mean i'm probably gonna be wrong about it but if if i'm right then i'll look smart that's yes. that's the way we approach this right of course yes so give us a game score i'm gonna go with new england 31 and philly 24 i think new england's gonna run a lot of no huddle in this game uh pat thorman had a really really good tweet about philly's tendencies and not and it makes sense because they're not able to rotate that d line as much and phil and, and new england doesn't want them to have fresh bodies in that d line to generate that natural pressure uh, so I think that that they're going to run a lot of up tempo, up tempo. Uh, number fires algorithm likes likes the over as well. Mm. Um, so I, I'm going to say I'm going to say New England 31, Philly 24. I'm going to go New England 38, Philadelphia 16. I could see it. I don't think it's actually that close because I think that the chances that Nick Foles stays hot for two full games consecutively very low, and that's what needs to happen. And I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. All New England needs is one dominant half to skew the game score that dramatically. Yeah. So let's talk about fantasy football. Okay, let's do that. Let's do that. Let's do that. Who was the real fantasy league winner last season? Was it Alvin Kamara or Todd Gurley? Because those are the two I hear listed most often. I mean, I think technically, technically, it would probably be Gurley. And I only say that because he dominated in that arbitrary period of the season that we call the fantasy football playoffs, right? Well, that's it. That's really the answer. Yes, that's it. Yeah, right. I, I hate, by the way, I hate like the, here's a list of players that, that won in the most, or won most frequently in leagues this season. And like the, it's, it's guys who did well in weeks 14 through 16. That's all that is. Um, and then, or, 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 you know, random guys that people were bold enough to play off, off the waiver and stuff. Why don't you give me the top scorers from week seven through nine? Right. It's yeah. Right. It's it's an arbitrary period during the football season. Uh, but, but I mean, obviously, the the better overall value, in my opinion, and from just a logical perspective, I think would be would be Alvin Kamara. So the way that I talk about like a league winner, I don't really use that phrase all that often. But the way that I talk about a league winner, I would say more Alvin Kamara, just because you're you're forcing yourself into a pick like Alvin Kamara when you're drafting late, because there's a wider pool of 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 options to choose from. Whereas when you're in the late second, early third this past year. There weren't many. I mean, what are your alternatives to Todd? I mean, look, like we did that that Roto World League together, right? And I owned Todd Gurley in that league. I ended up winning the league because I owned Todd Gurley. But even when I drafted Todd Gurley, I was like, eh, I don't know if I, I don't know if I really. I remember your reaction. Yeah, you wrote, "I guess I have to do this." That's what happens in the early rounds of fantasy football drafts: is that there aren't many options to choose from. Because you don't want to reach because reaching there's a higher opportunity cost when you do that. Whereas reaching in the eighth plus rounds, it doesn't really matter. So Alvin Kamara, I think, was the better overall. I mean, obviously the better overall value. But I give people a lot more credit for owning Alvin Kamara than I do Todd Gurley because they probably walked into or a lot of people walked into Todd Gurley as opposed to actually being more active and going after Alvin Kamara. Right. My team was better than your team in that league. One million percent. My team was and I because I had Wentz and I had Kamara. But when it came time for the fantasy football playoffs. Yeah, I actually had I had I lost Dalvin Cook in that league and I had Antonio Brown, too. I didn't have him in the finals and I played. I started in the finals. Our boys. I started Chris Godwin and Kenny Galladay in the finals. That was awesome. I saw that. And I won. It was great. Great feeling. That was a great feeling. Chris Godwin had a couple double-digit target games this season, and that was exciting. There were very few rookie receivers this year to post double-digit targets in a game. Chris Godwin did it multiple times. Just stash that name away when the redraft season starts. 
Make sure you get Chris Godwin in the later rounds. Just have that name handy for six months from now. Put it in a little chest with a little lock, a little mini lock, a little mini chest with a little mini lock. It's a time capsule. And lock it away. Our perfect time capsule advice when you go into your fantasy football draft this year. A redraft scenario, PPR even. Will you be going zero RB at all? Or is that just dead? Because we just talked about the best value player last season was easily Alvin Kamara. And he was a zero RB pick. So if that's true, you would think, oh, zero RB was successful last year. But because you needed Todd Gurley to win, Mm -hmm. necessarily the zero RB teams were blown up at some point in most leagues. So is it possible that after a couple years where the running backs are outscoring the wide receivers, that the two cohorts tilt back? Or is this just a runaway trend where running backs will continue to dominate wide receivers and it will continue to be more and more challenging to win implementing a zero RB draft concept? I want to get a little philosophical with draft strategy here because that's what I do. This is what you do. This is why we always ask you these questions. People all the time talk about zigging when other people are zagging in drafts, you know, and I I think that's bullshit, at least at least in most leagues with normal circumstances, because the whole notion actually just means that you're drafting running backs when other people are drafting wide receivers or vice versa. That's all that means. Unless, of course, you decide to draft a onesie position early. And if you think that that's the way that you draft, then you need to stop drafting or you need to read some stuff online. In normal leagues, shouldn't be drafting quarterbacks early. Shouldn't be draft. Usually, shouldn't be drafting tight ends early. The world-renowned high-stakes player Chad Schroeder came on the show this fall and debunked the zig when others zag draft strategy. He does the exact opposite. The way that I feel about the zigging and zagging, it's more about adjusting to how people are reacting to the previous fantasy football season, because that's how the consensus looks at fantasy football. They see what happened in a previous year and they attribute what happened to that next season. So as a result of this, there's more of an edge to be had when you zig and zag overall draft strategy as it pertains to running backs and wide receivers as opposed to simply zigging and zagging individual players during your draft, right? It's not about going into a draft and saying, all these guys are getting running backs right now. I'm going to get a wide receiver here. I'm going to get... No, you go into your draft and you have... When you have a a strategy in mind, like zero RB, when fewer people are going zero RB, it's a lot easier to go zero RB. Just naturally, because your wide receivers are going to be better. That's going to be the argument for implementing zero RB this season. Right, exactly. And that that is the argument for for implementing zero RB is that is that you would be, you know, there's there are fewer people that are going to be doing zero RB. So you're you're zigging while other people are zagging in terms of draft strategy, but you shouldn't be doing that in terms of just going in and just just seeing how other people are drafting these individual players. Um, because when you do that during a draft and you're reacting strictly by how other people are drafting these individual players, you're more prone to making mistakes. That's what draft strategy is all about. Draft strategy isn't to say you absolutely need to do this 100%. Draft strategy is there to guide you in order to lower your variance of missing on players, right? Yeah, a great draft strategy helps you minimize mistakes. Right. The reason why late round quarterback strategy exists is not because early round quarterbacks are never good. The late round quarterback strategy exists because it it lessens your opportunity cost when you're drafting these players early, because when you draft a quarterback early, opportunity cost is really high because you're foregoing this opportunity to have these running backs and wide receivers. So when that happens, you're actually the late round quarterback strategy is a safe strategy. It's not a, a risky strategy is taking Aaron Rodgers in the second or third round because 
because there's an opportunity cost involved. And it's a very backwards way of thinking because everyone looks at Aaron Rodgers and they say, Aaron Rodgers is going to produce like a good quarterback. But you're not factoring in the fact that you need to increase your rate on hitting on wide receivers and running backs early in your draft by drafting more of them. And every time that you don't draft one, you're losing that opportunity of having a higher chance of hitting on one. So I think that, you know, the way that I look at zero RB, I do think that zero RB is pretty, pretty league format dependent. Oh, it has to be a PPR league at this point. Yeah, has to be a PPR league. You have to, you know, three wide receivers and a flex is perfect for it. Um, but I, I think even still with fewer people just going with that strategy, um, it's it's you should be more inclined to use it this year than you would last year because the NFL fluctuates constantly. The way that 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 players score fantasy points and positions score fantasy points changes all of the freaking time. And you're a loser in fantasy football if you react to a one season's worth of data. When you win is when you're just looking at it from a grand scheme of things. Look, Matt, the reason I wrote the late round quarterback, the ebook, is because after the 2011 season, everyone was sitting there saying, draft your quarterbacks early because the quarterback position is just it's going nuts. Everyone, all these quarterbacks are throwing for these crazy numbers. 50 touchdown seasons are coming for everyone. And I looked at it and I said, what the hell are you talking about? If every quarterback is doing this, then you shouldn't be draft. You All it does is shift the entire position up, right? It's not, you're not seeing any difference between these top end quarterbacks. You did in 2011, but you shouldn't assume that that translates to 2012. But you shouldn't assume that there's a significant edge with these players. And the other thing to this point, why zero RB is still, could still be pretty impactful is that if you think about the wide receiver position and what happened this year, the wide receiver position was a dumpster fire this season, right? It was not strong. The worst. But if you had Antonio Brown and if you had DeAndre Hopkins, your edge at those positions, at that wide receiver one position. Extraordinary. Was so great. And so if we have this influx of running backs and we have teams wanting to use running backs more, uh, you know, having that true workhorse more, or if you're a big believer in this running back class, combined with last year's running back class, and you think that all of a sudden there's going to be 14 or 15 true workhorse backs. The running back renaissance. What that means is that you should not be drafting running backs early because it's easier to get one a little bit later. If, if you know that in the second round you can get a running back that's just as good as one in the first round, if you think that there's a running back in the second round that could join that elite tier of Ezekiel Elliott, Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson, and you can get him in the second round— then get a wide receiver in the first round, have that significant edge at wide receiver, and then get that running back in the second who could then join that elite tier if indeed he does hit. And then keep doing that because the, the greater the supply, the lower the demand. That's what it should be. The greater the supply of running backs should not mean that you should be forcing these running backs early in your drafts. Now, I'm not saying that your draft strategy should be zero RB next season. I'm just saying if you're looking at fantasy football in this way, it's very, 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 very important to not look at this position is doing so well in football right now, therefore I should draft this position. It's literally the opposite. If a position is doing poorly, but there's a group of players who are doing extraordinarily well at that position, those are the guys that you want. Yeah, it's the distribution within the cohort that you need to pay close attention to and the sensibilities of fantasy gamers. We know the sensibilities are going to tilt even more extremely toward running backs in 2018. So much so that it's conceivable you draft DeAndre Hopkins and Odell Beckham Jr. and Tyreek Hill with your first three picks because there will be wide receivers like Julio Jones and Odell Beckham Jr. that necessarily move out of the first round to make way for this RB renaissance, this wave of running backs that so many fantasy gamers are so thirsty for 
are going to displace wide receivers, push first-round wide receivers into the second round, and second-round wide receivers into the third round, and then you can really stack the chips on your side of the table by going zero RB. Yeah. But if Todd Gurley's sitting there, you're going to draft Todd Gurley at the same time. If you have an early pick right. and you have the opportunity to draft Todd Gurley, of course you're drafting Todd Gurley. We're talking about you for drafting later in the first round. If you have an early first round pick and Todd Gurley is there or David Johnson is there or Le'Veon Bell is there, you damn well better push the button on the best talents at the best positions, that's a no-brainer. Now, when you look at what the Rams did this past season, that was not a no-brainer. They had an offensive turnaround for the ages. How much of that turnaround was coach-driven? So I think that Sean McVay is certainly an offensive mastermind, right? Um, But I think that what makes a good coach in the NFL is not simply by looking at how effective they were. Don't you think he needs one more year, though? Before we go mastermind, can we say he's good and then maybe one more year to become mastermind? Can 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 be can it be like a two year program? Sure, that's fine. Is that fair? I I mostly I just wanted to generalize because it's not even like the the main point that I that I want to make. Right. The the Sean McVay thing. Let's just pretend that he's an offensive mastermind. Okay, that's great. But NFL coaches and my take on NFL coaches has really transformed over the last five years. Let's say where I I think that what makes a great NFL coach is not that. He understands the X's and O's so well, aside from like a Bill Belichick type. Good off, good, good coaches in the NFL know how to delegate. And what Sean McVay did was he said, you know what? I'm not touching the defense. Wade Phillips, all you. You do your thing. And he focused on the, he focused on the offense. Great play calling. Great scheming. I think that that combined with what they did over the offseason is what drove this entire machine offensively this year. And what they did and Jared Goff's natural development from year one to year two. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, Jer- Jared Goff saw the biggest jump in uh, adjusted nets, net yards per attempt year over year from one year to the next, any year, not even rookie year to second year of any quarterback in NFL history. And a lot of that had to do with, you know, a, a little bit of, of outplaying his abilities this season, probably. He's a number one pick, came into the league at age 21. Some of these things you could see coming, but I agree that Todd McVay supercharged his development. So the the thing, though, with what the Rams did is not unlike what Cleveland kind of did, and that's building that offensive line. It, they, they didn't go about it the same way because they already had their quarterback, but they invested in their offensive line this offseason. They put weapons around Jared Goff. They already had a decent enough defense, but all of that really helped develop Jared Goff. I mean, Jared Goff went from having an awful offensive line, Jeff Fisher's his head coach, uh, poor, poor weapons, awful weapons. Kenny Britt was his top weapon, and we saw Kenny Britt this season. I mean, I, I, I'm i a Kenny Britt guy, but... Apparently, he had the worst weapons of all time in 2016. Yeah, I mean, like, looking back, in hindsight, he had horrible weapons, like, awful weapons. <laughs> and then the and then we see we see what happens when they put money into weapons this year. Uh, they, they put that offensive line together. It all came together for Jared Goff, and then you combine that. Giving Tavon Austin less than five snaps per game. Yeah, right. Like they understood that Tavon Austin wasn't good. Um, and and that that I mean that's coaching too, right? I mean that that is coaching. That's absolutely optimizing your player personnel packages. Todd McVeigh's a good coach. Just that alone, marginalizing Tavon Austin, that was an important decision. Yeah. So I think you know I think that a lot of credit should go to Sean McVay for sure, but I think that a lot of credit as well should go to how they built that team naturally. So are the Browns the next Rams? Could Deshaun Kaiser be this coming year's Jared Goff?
I don't think so. Um, I, I, I say that because I don't think that they're set up front office wise and coaching wise for this to happen. Um, obviously huge. I mean, I know that you already talked at length about the Browns with Silva. Um, I, I completely agree. Uh, I, I think that it's a ridiculous organization right now. It's ridiculous. That's right. That's right. Hugh Jackson is an abomination of a head coach. I mean, there's there's not much more to say. I think that if there's one team that would be the Rams, it's kind of a an easy an easy go to. But I think you would probably look at the Bears. Oh, I didn't see that. I didn't know you were going to say that. Oh, okay. I think I feel like a lot of people have made that connection, but maybe not. But you know, you you have this new young head coach. Uh, you have a defense that's kind of there. The Bears defense isn't that bad. Uh, Mitch Trubisky was better than Jared Goff in his rookie year. True. You have a lack of weapons around Mitch Trubisky this season from a pass catching standpoint. Hopefully some guys can get healthy and come in. I'm not talking about Kevin White there. Uh, maybe they improve Cameron Meredith. You're right. Cam Meredith is going to come back. Um, hopefully they, or hopefully he does. Hopefully they improve from a pass catching standpoint. They're not, hopefully they don't make these awful, awful deals as they did with Marcus Wheaton. Um, they, they have a good offensive line in place. Good running, you know, pretty good running backs. A good change of pace back, too, obviously, with Tariq Cohen. Well, Tariq Cohen's great. In that role as a satellite back, one of the best in the league. Exactly. And I think that all of that comes together with better coaching and maybe slightly better personnel as pass catchers. And this is exactly what happened with the Rams. But they have an offensive line in place. I think that Chicago could be that team that would be this year in 2018 would be the Rams from 2017. Okay, so we have another time capsule. You got to put the Bears in a time capsule. So you buy the Bears... And Chris Godwin. So it's bears in one little box, Chris Godwin in the other, and also two little keys for each box. That's very important. You have to have the little keys that you keep, and you lose the keys, of course. So six months from now, you'll be able to dig the boxes up. You'll have lost the keys, and you won't remember which team to buy. You'll end up buying the Browns and hating yourself. Yeah. The other thing too with all of this, I mean, obviously, like Trubisky is going to play a major role. What you know. You could look at Jared Goff and say, and I was a hater of Goff after year one because he was horrendous, right? But you can look at Jared Goff and say, well, he needed so much help in order to be effective. And yes, I, I don't think that, Aaron, that that Jared Goff is going to be Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers is one of the quarterbacks. You know, Tom Brady is one of the quarterbacks where like you don't need to give him massive help in order for him to be effective on a football field. The majority of 99% of quarterbacks, you need to give them some sort of help in order for them to be effective. And I think that Chicago's in a position where they could do that with, with Mitch Trubisky. And Trubisky showed some signs this season. I know that he started off rocky. You know, his production didn't look unbelievable, but efficiency wise he was better than what Jared Goff was last year so I'm 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 interested to see how they build around Trubisky um because I think that they are in a position where they could be a lot better next season than most people realize well Trubisky's receivers were worse than Goff's because it was a rotation of Josh Bellamy yes and Kendall Wright yeah and Marcus Whedon and Dontrell Inman so these are back of the roster players fifth receivers that other teams had jettisoned and they all accumulated on the bears so they had a bunch of fifth receivers in number one wide receiver roles yeah so trubisky's actually a quarterback you can target in all league formats especially dynasty now is the time to get mitch trubisky in dynasty as well as in the later rounds in redraft he's the perfect guy to target says the guy whose twitter handle is at late round qb and it's obviously all going to be dependent on how they handle those positions this offseason. But they have they have some athleticism at tight end, some interesting guys at tight end. I, I, I think I think if they get the right pieces, Trubisky could see a pretty significant jump. 
Quarterback doesn't matter, though, in fantasy football, so I don't really care. If they sign one good wide receiver this offseason and they draft another one, so they could draft a quality slot receiver because there's a lot of quality slot receivers Ooh. in this draft. They could also sign an outside receiver in free agency. It would be very easy to turn around this receiver group especially because they have Cameron Meredith coming back, and Cameron Meredith is the real deal. Now, you mentioned the Bears as a team that you think will benefit from an improved coaching staff. Give me one more team that you think will benefit from improved coaching and play calling in 2018. It's the easiest answer of all time. It's Tennessee. Right. That's, it's not even close. It's, it's Isn't it right? Because they just signed the offensive coordinator from... Yeah, from from uh, L.A. That's right. Tennessee, man. Tennessee, if there is a, a, a an offense and a, a pairing of players that I'm more pumped for uh, in 2018, you can't find them. It's, ten, it's, it's Marcus Mariota and Corey Davis. I, more than the Bears? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm way more excited because I think the Bears could easily, we could see more of a transition. Whereas from a redraft perspective and from a next year standpoint, I mean, Marcus Mariota... And, and Corey Davis could instantly become super fantasy relevant. I mean, I think Marcus Mariota should could easily be a top ten quarterback next year. You look at the, the reason why Mariota didn't didn't succeed this season. I mean, he was he was banged up throughout the year. Right. Uh, his touchdown rate was insanely low. It was a two point seven percent, I believe, touchdown rate when the pre or two point nine percent, which was a complete reversion from previous years where he was exceeding expectations in the red zone. Yes, exactly. So you have a 2.9% touchdown rate, which the average across the last half decade is, has hovered around four and a half percent. And there's usually, you know, it's just, that's, it's, that's a great statistic to look at for regression. I mean, that's why Matt Ryan regressed. You can see that for Cam Newton when he had that MVP season. It's a, it's a, it's a really, really good metric that I utilize uh, with quarterbacks and, and just quickly looking at where regression could occur. Um, and, and with Marcus Mariota, his first two seasons, he was, like you said, was above average. He had a 5.1% touchdown rate his rookie year, 5.8% his second year. Now there's a new coaching staff. Um, the Titans had the other thing too, the Titans had more rushing touchdowns and passing touchdowns this year. They're the only team in the NFL that that, that happened, uh, with, and, and anytime that so happens, wait, so does that mean that the Tennessee Titans were running a Jeff Fisher offense last season? Essentially. I mean, essentially the Jeff Fisher residue has not been completely power washed off the Tennessee Titans until this year. 2018 will be the first year in which the Tennessee Titans have no Jeff Fisher residue remaining. This is this is the year. Yes. The thing that you can do when it comes to that those kind of numbers, like if you see a team that ran the ball for more, had more rushing touchdowns and passing touchdowns in today's NFL, and you know that that happens maybe once a year, maybe twice a year. All that should tell you is this is not normal and it's going to regress to some mean eventually. And when you combine that with Marcus Mary, obviously there's going to be a connection to a low touchdown rate with something like that from a passing perspective. That's when you know regression is going to hit. You combine that with Marcus Mariota's rushing ability. He's going to be healthier. There's a new coaching staff. Corey Davis is going to enter his second year. He had a little coming out party against New England. I think that there is there there is no better late round quarterback next season from right. I mean, this is January, but there's not going to be a better late round quarterback than Marcus Mariota next year. Marcus Mariota will be my quarterback in all fantasy leagues next season because I already own him in all dynasty leagues. So then I'll just own him in every single league next year, except the leagues we're in together. We will have one of those situations where we're hoping that the other doesn't draft our player, which is what happens when we're in leagues together. So the Tennessee Titans offense could have the highest change in raw output from 2017 to 2018, where they go from having very few usable fantasy assets to having 
a significant collection of quality fantasy relevant assets on offense where the Bears won't approach the Titans overall output, but their differential from one year to the next may be even greater on a percentage basis. Yeah, that's that's the way I see it is that the Titans are going to be more usable. Right. But the Bears are probably going to just see a bigger natural jump. That's my that's my take on it. Now, we talked earlier about Todd Gurley, Alvin Kamara. Those were big surprises from 2017. Other than those two, who was the biggest surprise for you in 2017? I never doubted his talent. I know that he's a good receiver, but I'm still shocked that DeAndre Hopkins did what he did. Um, and, and I'm only saying that in the context of of the quarterbacks that he had. Obviously, Deshaun Watson was a lot better than, than anyone predicted. Uh, but even without Deshaun Watson, I mean, you're looking at what he did in 2016, DeAndre Hopkins with Brock Osweiler, and it didn't come even close to what he did in 2017 with Tom Savage and so on. Um, you know, so like I said, I, I never doubted the talent of DeAndre Hopkins. I just doubted the situation. Uh, and the fact that he, you know, I, I love to, when, when it comes to regression for for really any position, I think that it's be- beneficial to start at simply looking at yardage totals and seeing how many touchdowns a player should have based on his yardage or receptions, and then just going from there and digging in deeper to see how that happened, why that happened, etc. And the fact that DeAndre Hopkins far outperformed where he should have been from a touchdown standpoint this year with the quarterback situation and the situation that he had in general is insane. It's it's abs- If there's one wide receiver who can knock Antonio Brown off as the best wide receiver in football, I think the argument is for DeAndre Hopkins above any other wideout. That's right. Now, if you want to go more fine-grained and zoom in a bit on the DeAndre Hopkins 2017 season, it was the second half with Tom Savage. That was the most impressive set of performances for me in week 9 through 17, DeAndre Hopkins, because his fantasy points per game actually rose with Tom Savage. No one saw that coming. The target share rose enough to outweigh the diminished efficiency because with Tom Savage, of course, the efficiency will decline. But because Tom Savage was less likely to use weapons like Will Fuller, didn't go through the read progressions as naturally, he ended up narrowing his focus more to DeAndre Hopkins game to game. So the target share rose. And even though Tom Savage is not an accurate quarterback, somehow, some way, DeAndre Hopkins found a way to convert receptions and then convert those receptions into touchdowns on an anemic offense. Right. So I 100% agree with you. That's the right answer. We talked about quarterbacks with Marcus Mariota. Andrew Luck has become an enigma. If there's a quarterback that I'm most interested in seeing his ADP in 2018 when the redraft season kicks off, it has to be Andrew Luck. And last night, I saw yet another Andrew Luck Civil War military general theme. And I laughed. I laughed again because it was all about how his rifle has been cleaned and it's back to operational and he'll be practicing his shooting again and he's very excited about that he's writing a letter back to his wife i mean this is an amazing meme i mean you're a great memer hey thanks man but it's now been two years of this andrew luck military general bit and it's still funny how is that possible i mean i feel like if i knew the if i knew the answer to what makes a meme viral and good then i would be a millionaire i mean it's an amazing skill if you have that skill all I do is gift Jeff Fisher and I sit back and let it let it be and just I just let it be. I think that look, I think that that 
memes, good memes, the reason people like them is that there's some sort of truth involved in them. That would be that would be my answer if there was a a way there there's some sort of like connection that people make. That's deep. That's deep. Yes, that's deep. You this you're listening to like a business PhD lecture because it, like if you look at like 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 white guy blinking dot gif right. <laughs> Right. He works anywhere because everyone's had that reaction and felt that reaction and has done that before. And he just kind of exaggerates that. So it's the truth and the exaggeration combined that makes a good a good meme. There was an Alex Smith meme earlier this year where there was the girlfriend boyfriend walking down the street and the boyfriend's turning around and he's turning around to look at Patrick Mahomes. The boyfriend was actually Andy Reid and the original girlfriend was Alex Smith. That was a viral meme, right? Yeah. You now see it everywhere, like the crying Jordan, but didn't it originally start as a Chiefs meme? I have no idea. Oh. Well, I thought I was bringing on the meme expert. Apparently not. Next question. What was your biggest hot take hit from last summer? I mean, uh, you're talking to the right guy for hot takes, let me tell you. Um, No, I mean, I I think that, you know, my my approach to fantasy football, as I said earlier, is about embracing variance and knowing that you're just naturally going to be wrong. But I I, I think one of my my best takes was just my general uh, outlook on Kareem Hunt, for sure. I mean, I remember coming on this show when it wasn't as popular to say that Kareem Hunt was going to be the best rookie running back. It was right after the Spencer Ware injury. Um, and I broke it down and that, that was the, that was probably the strongest take that I had was that Kareem Hunt was great. Take was going to be a super, super fantasy relevant running back this year. So I'd probably just, just go with that. That happened, right? Yeah, he was pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. So what about your biggest miss, your coldest take? <sighs> Eric Ebron. Yes, I was with you on the Eric Ebron. I was I was on it. I, I thought he could be a top five tight end this year. It's not like it mattered because tight end didn't matter, but... <laughs> right. Well, those with Zach Ertz claim that it did. I mean, no Anquan Bolden. Um, I, I thought that a lot of those red zone targets and, and targets within the 10 would, would maybe go to Eric Ebron, despite the fact that we knew that in college he wasn't a touchdown scorer. He hadn't been a touchdown scorer throughout the pros, but... All you need is a more uh, is a stronger effort to get someone the ball there. Um, I thought Ebron. I mean, Ebron showed some flashes late in the season, but um, obviously did not come through as a top five ish tight end. Do you want to run that back this year, me and you, Eric Ebron? Want to tout him? I can't do it anymore. I can't with not with with Babytron, who's gonna who's gonna need more volume there. No, you need to be loyal to Babytron. That's right. Now, what lesson did you learn that will make you a better analyst in 2018? Don't make nicknames for prospects. No, I'm just kidding. Um, people hate the Babytron nickname. It's unbelievable what? how much. I thought NFL.com stole it. No, they well they used it. NFL.com tweeted it, and it was amazing. Amazing. But the there were there are a lot of Detroit beat writers who just just cannot stand me. Because I'll just be relentless with the Babytron stuff. You're not saying he's Calvin Johnson. You're saying he's a smaller version of Calvin Johnson right. who has Calvin Johnson's stature and Calvin Johnson's explosiveness on Calvin Johnson's old team. Right. It's like a very fitting name, right? The nickname's great because it's so apropos and it's not disparaging anyone. It's perfect. We want Kenny G to be the nickname. I'm like, oh, so you hate creativity. Okay, that's cool. Fuck those beat writers. <laughs> 
they dispatch a czar of nicknames, and he knocks on your door, right? He's wearing a black suit with a clipboard. Yeah. Um, but the lesson that I learned this season that's going to make me better analyst next year, um, I think that that the big thing is to not um, assume dramatic turnarounds can't happen. Sorry for the double negative there. Uh, to, to assume and to, to think that big turnarounds for NFL teams can indeed occur, not to expect them, but to understand that if sweeping changes occur on a team like we saw with L.A., to not assume that someone like Todd Gurley can happen or to not assume that the weapons in L.A. can become relevant in fantasy football. Um, and so I think that if I were to look at like the Bears, you know, obviously I just talked about them, but if I were to look at the Bears last year, I might not have been as optimistic about them going into next year. But now I'm a little bit more open minded about that. Yeah, we need to be this year. Jaguars, Rams, Eagles, Vikings. So next year, Bears, and I'm hopeful. I know the forces are working against them, but they have such a treasure trove of picks. I think the Sashi Brown left John Dorsey with an unbreakable franchise. So it's possible that the Browns ascend as well. Yeah. Now, looking at this draft class, very important if you're a Browns fan. All Browns fans have been pouring over the mock drafts and the draft profiles, all these players. The season's not even over yet because, again, we have the Super Bowl coming up. I'm not sure you've heard of it, but it's coming. So it's still early. You haven't dug into this 2018 draft class much. Right. But is Baker Mayfield Johnny Manziel 2.0? If you're a lazy analyst, yes. Who are you most bullish on versus early consensus? Like, who's that one guy that... You already have your radar up for. You're already thinking, I think I got a rookie that I like. Like a radar, like... Am I supposed to talk now while you're doing that? Or is yeah, it... <laughs> I didn't cut him. I, it's, it's, it's funny either way. It was good. It was good. Either you have the awkward silence or you talk over it. Either way, it's funny. That's the beauty of these manual mouth sound effects. I wanted to see how long you would do that, but the guy, so I, I've, I've, I've looked at my prospect model a little bit, but I haven't really dug in a ton yet just because of the Super Bowl and stuff. Um, but the guy that like blew my mind from a, from a production standpoint, waiting for it, waiting for it is DJ Moore. I looked at his production profile. I'm like, this guy should have been like, he has the production profile of like a number one wide out from like Georgia tech. Right. Dominator. If you like college dominator, you like DJ Moore. by the way, go to playerprofiler.com. We have the DJ Moore skeleton profile up with his dominator rating. 53.3% 97th percentile. Absolutely insane. Uh, I think that a lot of people are going to compare him to Stefan Diggs just because of the Maryland connection. Again, because people like to be lazy with that stuff. I see I see a lot of Golden Tate in him. That's right. Randall Cobb, Golden Tate. We talked about we talked about the Bears wanting a sl- or needing a slot receiver. Do you imagine like a DJ Moore there or someone who can like he projects to be a yak monster at the next level? Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, he's just a super intriguing prospect to me. Someone that that I hope can find a good landing spot because look, I mean, the bottom line, not as much with running backs, but or with wide receivers, but running backs, most definitely. I mean, landing spot is legitimately, I mean, it's, it's everything. And it's the way that I play Dynasty, too, is that I think in a very short term way. Um, so landing spot matters a ton, a ton, you know, as as 
as good as Alvin Kamara was this year and as good of a running back as he is, I wasn't nearly, nearly as high. I mean, I wasn't high on him really at all pre-draft. And then he lands in New Orleans like, hell yeah, let's go. Alvin Kamara all day. Yeah, Michael Thomas, same thing a year prior. Right. It's 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 when you when you get these guys that find these landing spots, it's it's great. And I'm not saying that DJ Moore would thrive right away in Chicago because we don't know if Mitch Trubisky is even a good quarterback. But DJ Moore, I think, is is someone who, uh, from a, especially from a PPR perspective, could do a lot of damage uh, in fantasy football. Now, what if I told you there was a college running back declared for the draft his last two seasons, both went over 1,400 yards, scored 30 total rushing touchdowns. And in his final three seasons, caught more than 40 passes each season. Would you be interested in that player? I would. His name is Ito Smith from Southern Mississippi. His problem, he's 5'9", 195. But if you like the satellite back archetype, if you like running backs capable of catching 80 passes in the NFL, if you play in PPR leagues then you need to know the name Ito Smith because every year we have a couple small school running backs that make impacts. We talked about Tariq Cohen earlier. Ito Smith is a better version of Tariq Cohen. If you like Tariq Cohen, you necessarily have to love Ito Smith. We have not seen a satellite back with this type of resume in a long time. Now, will he have Tariq Cohen's explosiveness at the combine? I'm not sure. But if he's fast, and I know it's a big if, But if Edo Smith is fast, and he probably is to get these numbers, you have to be athletic. But if he's fast and explosive, he's surely agile. Then you have to love Edo Smith in the third and fourth round of Dynasty rookie drafts. Now, we talked earlier about the forthcoming redraft season. It's many months away. But give us one guy that we need to monitor in the later rounds. Who's your way too early value play? Looking at just the assumed ADPs for 2018. I mean, I, I think Marcus Mariota is going to be the late round quarterback. And I think that we're going to probably see a value with Corey Davis as well. Corey Davis is the guy. You have to get Corey Davis on your team next year. You have to. I kind of wish that he didn't do what he did in the playoffs. I mean, it was good to see, but I think that that's going to inflate his ADP a little bit. And then obviously Eric Decker might be gone. He's a free agent, but I I, I don't know what will happen there. But Eric who? Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how that that uh, share of targets kind of is spread around or what it looks like. But I'm really bullish on Corey Davis. He was a really uh, I mean, he was easily my number one wide out last season. Yeah, he didn't need to do well in the playoffs for us to know he's good and he's coming. Yeah, that's what's that's what's frustrating is that now other people are, are going to obviously know it. But I can't imagine he's going to be a super high draft pick. No, he's not. He's going to be a double-digit round guy. He's going to be next year's Devin Funchess. All right. See how I do that? See how I hot takeerize your stuff? I mean, I love how we do this. I love how you have the idea and you have the legwork and you have the numbers and you have the philosophy that just drives you to the right guy. In the final step in the process on the assembly line, we put it through this hot takeerizer and then it comes out with Corey Davis is going to be this year's Devin Funches. It's like a factory. An assembly line of sports takes we've created here. I am merely the hot takerizer. You're doing all the hard work. <laughs> Do some more work for us. Okay. Rapid fire mode. Three bold predictions for 2018. Go. Marcus Mariota will be a top eight quarterback. Yes. Aaron Jones will be a top 12 running back. Yes. 
Julio Jones will score more than three touchdowns. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, we're going to hit you with a loser game show sound. I'm going to say that uh, Josh Doxson is not a top 40 wide receiver. Oh, I like that you faded a guy so often. The bold predictions are all, the guy I'm so bullish on that no one else is this bullish on. But you said, oh no, I'm also going to predict that there will be some over-exuberance around Josh Doxson, which I think would be natural. And I'm going to go ahead and start fading him in January. I'm going to get out ahead of this, saying Josh Doxson, he ain't it. He ain't the answer. And if that's true, then that also means you need to go ahead and buy Jamison Crowder next season. Probably. So final question, I'll get you out of here on this. Go deeper. Give us that under-the-radar veteran you qualify for truth or status on. You knew this was coming. You're stashing this guy in Dynasty Leagues. Who is he? I'm not a truther of anyone, Matt. I don't play this truther game with players. But you could be wrong. I was a Brian Quick truther last season, and it flamed out spectacularly, and I'm fine with it. Because what are you going to do to me? What are you going to do? You're going to not listen to my podcast because I told you to stash Brian Quick in the deepest of Dynasty Leagues last year? Fuck you then. Wait, what were what, what were we saying? What? Less than less than a less than a stash, but more of like a let's just throw out a super super late draft pick or yes. get get guys like that. That's kind of the way that I look at questions like this. So I think there's three three wide receivers that I'm kind of intrigued by. First one is Kenny Stills. Okay, Kenny Stills only 25 still. He's gonna be around the Dolphins another year. Jarvis Landry might be gone. All right, that, all of a sudden Kenny Stills at least one year. And we can say definitively now that Devontae Parker's a bust. Right. I think Kenny Stills, and I think I've always, I've, I'm a big Kenny Stills fan. Uh, maybe I'm, maybe, maybe I'm a semi-truther there. I think that Kenny Stills has more tactical value to the Miami Dolphins than Jarvis Landry. It's pretty hot. It's pretty bold. See what I did there? <laughs> you, went, you, went, you went to a level where I can, I can take it there. You see what I did there? You injected it into the mold, and the mold hardened, and you polished it, and at the final step of the assembly line, boom! Hot take arised. So here, here are two older veterans then, okay? One of them, we, I, I talked about Decker. I think Decker's kind of interesting, depending on his landing Who? spot. Because you could always use a slot wide out. Who's this? You can always... Huh? Who? Yeah. You, the the Who? guy that we used to like a lot. Like, like... Like a couple years ago. Dead to me. Eric, dead to me. I think if he finds the right spot, he could be a little interesting, at least from a dynasty perspective. The one old guy, if you want one old guy to target in a, in a cheap trade, Pierre Garçon's the guy. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. If you want one old dude on your roster that's going to give you consistent output, 49ers have no depth chart at wide receiver. None. Now, the scary part is Pierre Garçon's going to be 32 and he's coming off a neck injury. But, but... You're associating him with what could be a very good quarterback, what what has appeared to be a very good quarterback. He is ascending now like the Jesus statue in Brazil. That's yes. essentially Jimmy Garoppolo in San Francisco. And so I think I think Pierre Garçon, at least for a year, you know, I I I, I love these kind of moves in Dynasty because you can you can just capture you can look in that sh- that short time frame and capture potential wide receiver two production. Like, would you be shocked if Pierre Garçon's a wide receiver two next year? Of course not. 
No, of course not. He could easily see 130 plus targets if he's healthy. I mean, very easily. And he's got Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, those are the moves to me. And he's like wide. He's ranked like wide receiver 65. Like no one wants Pierre Garçon. Nobody. So those are the players that I generally, the, from a veteran perspective, that I generally type, uh, try to target. I think Garçon's a, a really interesting one this offseason. I'll give you two guys. Because if there's one trend that I've noticed in the NFL that I think is real and will endure for many years... It's this tendency to funnel targets to the slot receiver. I think that there will be more slot receivers than ever before in the top 25. In fact, the top 25 could be dominated by slot receivers in 2018, where it's the majority. Right. It's conceivable. And so if you're looking for slot receivers in the right situations, I have two for you. Talk about raw output. You want to have the slot receiver in New Orleans, right? His name is Austin Carr. High dominator rating, high agility score on the practice squad in New Orleans with a wide receiver depth chart that is opening up with Ted Ginn aging and Brandon Coleman ineffective. Look for Austin Carr to step up and potentially become the number two option in that New Orleans passing game. Now, on the team that we predicted would have the highest rate of improvement, the Chicago Bears, Tanner Gentry Mm. is Austin Carr North. So Tanner Gentry got some run. It didn't work out. High snap share, low target rate as an undrafted rookie. I mean, during the pre-draft process, listen to Josh Allen and how he excuses away his 2017 performance. He essentially is coming out and saying, the reason I didn't perform as well in 2017 is because I lost Tanner Gentry. That's the reason. That's the reason he's been giving, because that's what he does, is he blames everyone but himself as he goes to sell teams that he's not the fraudulent quarterback that we know him to be. Regardless, I think that the one quality player on offense to come out of Wyoming recently is not going to be Josh Allen. It will be Tanner Gentry. And if they do not acquire a slot receiver in the draft, then I think you could see Tanner Gentry opposite Cameron Meredith on an ascending offense in Chicago. Yeah, there's a lot of guys like that. Trent Taylor is another one that comes to mind. That's 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 like that, you know, where it's where it's an offense with opportunity uh, playing that slot role. Um, So I think he's another player that you can keep an eye on. I love Trent Taylor for all the same reasons you talked about loving Pierre Garçon. Pierre Garçon, Pierre Garçon's 32 coming off neck injury. So we can just flip the take, right? We can just flip the take. Right. For all the same reasons we like Pierre Garçon, we can go ahead and dismiss Pierre Garçon and love Trent Taylor. Yeah. I mean, Trent Taylor will be the best value wide receiver in all of fantasy football in 2018. Trent Taylor is another one that comes to mind. That's 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 like that, you know, where it's where it's an offense with opportunity uh, playing that slot role. Um, so I think he's another player that you can keep an eye on. Go stronger with Trent Taylor. Okay, no, no, I will. I'll do that. I mean, Trent Taylor will be the best value wide receiver in all of fantasy football in 2018. It's fire. See what I did there? Hot takerized you. There's like five things you can say and you just plug and play the template. My mind doesn't work that way. You said the outcome of the Super Bowl is going to come down to Nick Foles and Nelson Aguilar. 
That's gonna be the key to the game! I can't believe you just said that! Imagine, six months ago, we were to go in a time machine, back six months, and you could hear yourself saying that. You wouldn't believe it! I mean, I'm probably gonna be wrong about it, but if, if I'm right, then I'll look smart. That's, that's the way we approach this, right? Stack the chips on your side of the table by going zero RB. So, by the way, how lucky were we that this Alex Smith trade happened right before the show? Dude, I was like, I was playing playing PS4 last night with a buddy, and it came through, and I just started screaming. <laughs> First off, anyone thinking that Washington won this trade? Well, what do you want them to do? Literally anything else. Ryan Grant? <laughs> If this was a fantasy league, there would be cries of collusion on the message board. Well, I want to be well-rested, man. I am a need seven to eight a night person. I think that it changes your life dramatically. Yes, yes, you live longer, you perform better, just your efficiency, right? You might go to a receiver and you can see their yards per target. They go up after the receiver starts getting some sleep. You know what happened to Dwayne Bowes? You started staying up all night going to Sonic and that's why the yards per target crashed. I love the people that brag about not getting enough sleep. They're like, oh yeah, I only slept three hours a night this week and I'm still going. Like, this is a good thing that, you, that you're sleeping three hours a night. Like, congrats. Reagan was the first guy to actually put someone in the balcony and point at him and have him stand up. And now this guy's like, half the thing is like, let's point at people. Yeah, the best is pointing at refugees from North Korea when you're so anti-refugee in, in your own country. Oh, the irony. That was great. I didn't even catch that irony. That's great. Good. Yes. I just love that we teased this podcast. Someone actually went on Twitter and said, you guys should do a podcast. And you said, well, that's funny because we actually are doing a podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was unbelievable. See how I do that? See how I hot takeerize your stuff? I mean, I love how we do this. I love how you have the idea and you have the legwork and you have the numbers and you have the philosophy that just drives you to the right guy. In the final step in the process on the assembly line, we put it through this hot takerizer and then it comes out with Corey Davis is going to be this year's Devin Funches. I think that Kenny Stills has more tactical value to the Miami Dolphins than Jarvis Landry. Boom! Hot takerized. If you want one old dude... Because what are you going to do to me? What are you going to do? You're going to not listen to my podcast because I told you to stash Brian Quick in the deepest of dynasty leagues last year? Fuck you then. It's like it's like saying going up to another fantasy owner in a dynasty league and saying like, hey, I'm going to give you a late first pick for Antonio Brown, but we can talk about it, okay? Then the person comes back and he's like, okay, I want four firsts because it's Antonio Brown. And they're like, no, I'm only I'm only going to give you one first. There's actually nothing going on. There's no negotiating. Hugh Jackson is an abomination of a head coach. So it's bears in one little box, Chris Godwin in the other, and also two little keys for each box. That's very important. You have to have the little keys that you keep, and you're going to lose the keys, of course. So six months from now, you'll be able to dig the boxes up. You'll have lost the keys, and you won't remember which team to buy. You'll end up buying the Browns and hating yourself. So there was a drain that was clogged in my bathroom, and I noticed a hair was slinking down the drain. So I said to myself, well, I, I bet maybe there's a hairball in there. 
So what I did was I took a hanger and I unwound the hanger, straightened it out, but then I created a little fish hook out of it. And then I put the fish hook down the drain and I was rummaging around and they're rummaging around and they're rummaging around there. And I pulled out a hairball the size of a mouse, but it was slimy and it was coated with this, you know, black grime being in the drain for however long, months and months and months, just building up, you know, one hair at a time and just collecting until the whole thing was stopped up. And so I I took it out, and I flushed it down the toilet, and I ran the water, and and the water ran fine, and I was a hero. I was a hero because that would have been a 100 bucks. So I felt great about that. Instead, it was a a 13-cent hanger. You're welcome, family. You're welcome. I am a creative handyman sometimes when I need to be, just because I was like, there has to be a better way. Calling these guys to come out for five minutes and pay the bill. I just had my chimney cleaned, and that was like over $500. And I was just like, think, how much are you making per hour here? The services in some of these suburban communities, the inflation rates on the services, on the professional services, is so high that it can be offensive. Yeah, of course. Of course. You didn't see a plumber rant coming there, did you? That was a victory lap, told you so, rant, and all you had to say was plumbers. Over the weekend, my wife and I built, we built an elliptical. I have it right here in my office. We built, we built this elliptical because I'm trying, like, I, I'm changing, like, I, I do a lot of, like, kickboxing stuff workout-wise, and I, I had to stop running because it was ruining my body, and so I, we, we, we bought this elliptical, and we're building it over the weekend, and it says that assembly takes about... Oh, wait, so you were building an elliptical from scratch, like cutting boards and, and molding metal. You were putting it together. You said building, not assembling. So so we, we're putting it together, okay, and that's there's the better phrase for you. We're putting it together, and, and it, comes, it comes in this giant box, right? This is fucking massive box. And... It, the, the base of the elliptical, you know, like the, the, the base of any elliptical is already put together. So we're like, okay, there's the base. And then it also has like the pedals are on there too. But it doesn't have like the, you know, the arms aren't attached to the pedals yet. Like you have to do that. So we put it all together and we realized that the pedals, after we like put most of it. Yes. They were on the wrong side. So we couldn't put the pedals on the other side. So we had to take everything apart. Well, while we're taking everything apart, there was a base where, where you put it into the base and it, it's like the neck of the elliptical where like the display is, you know? They said when you, when we put it together that you had to put those screws in so tight because it was like the, 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 the structure, like it was like the, the focal point of the elliptical, right? Couldn't loosen the screws. Right, so we couldn't loosen the screws. screws. My wife is going so hard at trying to loosen these screws and all of a sudden the wrench that she used goes flying and it goes into the base of the elliptical. The wrench is now stuck and the one piece that you that came assembled already, so it's impossible to get apart. So I try to get, I try to like, like I got, there's a hook. I have it right here, hang on. Freaking hook that I built with like a, we had like a magnet on one side. At first we tried this. Oh, here we go, yes. And then, and then there was a hook. This was the hook, okay? This hook, I put the hook down there and it gets caught on electrical wires that were in the so we had to like take the whole thing apart and it was like an extra hour to do all that it was it was mind-numbingly terrible oh assembling things awful i just got a vera desk which is the standing desk and one of the selling points was that it comes fully assembled i could just put it on my desk and raise it up so now i'm standing all day instead of sitting are you standing right now 
No, except my arm. This arm doesn't go high enough for me to stand and do podcasts. But I do. But watch this. I do. I am sitting on a yoga ball. Watch. Oh, wow. Wow, you're living that life now. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. If you want one old dude. Do you want to run that back this year? Me and you, Eric Ebron. Want to tout him? I, I can't do it anymore. Tony Saragusa is the official spokesman of the male adult diaper. Wow, was he wearing one? I mean, he doesn't know a lot about a lot except adult diapers. Patrick Mahomes is like Josh Allen if he was actually good. The last time we saw an Eagles team in the Super Bowl, it took the offense five minutes to run a two-minute drill, and the quarterback vomited on the field. We're so good at podcasting now, by the way. Yeah, we're just so good at podcasting now. We're so good at it. I love how good we are at it. I'm literally talking to my elliptical in my office right now. Like, that, it's not awkward anymore. I mean, it's tough to not feel relaxed when I see you on the other end just bouncing up and down on your exercise ball. I'm literally a bobblehead on your screen. Dave Portnoy from Barstool Sports asking you about the hat you wore on the plane. I mean, those questions... Yeah, uh, no, no comment for me. Uh, no, no comment for me. Uh, no, no comment for me. Tighten the screws. Now we look like geniuses. Right, my team was better than your team in that league. One million percent. Before we go mastermind, can we say he's good and then maybe one more year to become mastermind? Can, can, I, can, be a, can it be like a two-year program? Sure, sure, that's fine. Sure, sure, that's fine. Let's just pretend that he's an offensive mastermind, okay? Could Deshaun Kaiser be this coming year's Jared Goff? I don't think so. Um, I don't think so. The Jeff Fisher residue has not been completely power washed off the Tennessee Titans. But didn't it originally start as a Chiefs meme? I have no idea. Oh. Well, I thought I was bringing on the meme expert. Apparently not. Like our radar, like... Dominator. If you like College Dominator, you like DJ Moore. We want Kenny G to be the nickname. I'm like, oh, so you hate creativity. Okay, that's cool. Fuck those beat writers. They've done everything they can do to me at this point, JJ. The trolls and the buzzards, they've slung all their arrows. They're, uh, what's it called? Where, where the arrows are? Where, where you hold the arrows? What's it called? Oh, that's a quiver. There's no more arrows in the quiver. They, they have none left. They, they've slung them all. I've taken the arrows. I've pulled them out. I've broken them off. I've healed. And now I'm unstoppable. I've turned those arrows into fire. They're now flame tip arrows and I'm shooting back at them. I've become a human bobblehead. Yeah, uh, no, no comment for me.